Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Woo. Precious Lord. You know, one of the things that I really want to do in my own personal life. Thank you, worship team. I appreciate y'all. Um, I want to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. Does everybody get that? I don't want to be a guy who goes to church, says I'm a Christian, you know, does the Christian stuff and all of that, and but doesn't emulate Christ. I want people to see and hear and feel Jesus Christ when I speak and I move and I act. And I'm getting deeper and deeper into that mode the longer I live and the farther along this Christian life that I go. Because I'm finding that life, with all of its trappings and all of its window dressings, are rather irrelevant when it comes to talking about eternity. And it's not just my eternity that I'm talking about. I'm talking about eternity where I may actually be affecting somebody else. Pro or con Jesus. Because I'm going to be honest with you, Christians. You are as life-giving or as dangerous as anything moving on planet Earth, depending on how you act and speak. The moniker Christian does not necessarily mean Christ-like. It does mean religion every single time. But it doesn't necessarily mean Christ-like. And I'm, the reason I'm bringing this up has nothing to do with what's going on here. I was talking about not wanting to go to church other places that the sabbatical taught me that I just don't like going to other churches. Um, I was at, and I think, honey, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was the first church I visited in March. It was the first church, wasn't it? The first church I visited in March, it was a little, really little church. And it was not in, within our fellowship, obviously. Because within that 25, 30-ish minutes that I was in the, their worship service, they literally, by name, called out Pentecostals three times. By name. And what's so funny about that is that the pastor knows me. You know what? Jesus said, therefore, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what he said. And then he gave some qualifications that were going to follow that preaching. And what I find fascinating is that never one time did he ever give us the go-ahead to call out other people. And he said, go preach the gospel. And if you translate gospel literally, and we all know this, it is good news. I never want to do anything but that. And I've called folk out before. To my detriment. I'm not influential enough for anybody to care if I call you out. 
I just want to be like Jesus. Amen? And that's how I want to live my life. We're going to go to some very, 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 very common scripture today for my message. And I want you to turn to the Gospel of John. I want you to go to the first chapter. And I want you to go to the first verse. And we're going to talk a little bit today about the Word of the Lord. I forgot to give this message a title. My bad. So if you're a note taper, taker, just title it the Word of the Lord. John chapter 1. Boy, that's really dark. There we go. Let there be word. In John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2, this is what the Bible says. It says, In the beginning was the word. And this is what I want you to pay attention to right here. And the word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. How many of you have read that before? Okay. How many of you have read that more than once? How many of you have quoted that? Roughly the same number of people who have read it. That's one of those... You ever run into texts of Scripture that are hard to quote because they don't flow? You ever do that? It's like you're stumbling over yourself because you can't remember it. Maybe you're trying to memorize it out of King James, and King James is like con- trying to conjugate Spanish. This part is actually belongs here, but it was put back here behind a comma. And you have to, it's, it's the cup game, you know, you try to find the P. That, sometimes the King James, trying to memorize King James is like that game. But this is one of those verses that's easy to memorize, and so we use it a lot. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was, in fact, God. (laughs) He was with God in the beginning. The Word was with God. That just doesn't seem like a very deep theological point, does it? The Word was with God. When we read that statement alone, the Word was with God, we tend to think, and and correct me if I'm wrong, we tend to think in terms of proximity. We tend to think in terms of location. We tend to think in terms of the Word actually accompanying God. Right? That's what we do. We think in terms of proximity. We think in terms of the Word being next to God. Addison is next to Tyler. Riley is next to Tyler. That's what we think when we read the Word was with God. We think Well, that's saying that the Word was beside God. 
physically located next to God. That it's proximity. That's how we read this verse. I, I suppose that imagery or that picture uh, can be attributed to the whole uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, uh, Jesus being seated at the right hand of, of the Father thing. And so we automatically, when we read John 1, 1, we think that the Word is sitting next to God. How many of you interpret or perceive that verse that way? How many of you? Go ahead and raise your hand. The rest of you are lying. Raise your hand. Oh, don't raise your hand if you've never read that verse. That would be bad. See, forever, I have interpreted that verse that way. I'm assuming that those of you who did not raise your hands are smarter than I, and you know what that actually means, because in all of that, in all of our thinking with respect to His proximity to God... That's how we see this imagery when we read. And I don't know how many of you function in images, but when I read, I see. Okay? It's not just academic. It's almost video. There's a lot of imagery involved. So when we see, when we read, the word was with God, we think in terms of location. Guess what? (laughs) That is not what that means. It is not what that means. This is not about the Word in the beginning being next to God. That's not what it means. The word with here, and the word was with, the word with here is a preposition. It means it precedes what it's actually talking about. It's a preposition, but it's denoting not location. It's denoting direction. With is a preposition denoting direction. Now, I know there's a handful of you who are school teachers and, or have been and are, etc., or you're just really good at English, and you know what I just said. The rest of us, meaning me, I looked that up. With is a preposition denoting direction, not location. With here does not mean that the word was near or next to. It's not what it means. In fact, you could literally take the word with in this verse right there and replace that word with words like about. Pertaining to, and this one is my mind-blowing favorite, motioning towards. The Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was about God. And the Word was pertaining to God. This one blows my mind. And the Word was motioning toward God. Now I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. And I want you to think about the ramifications of what I just told you. We could literally read that. And the Word 
was motioning toward God. I want you to think of this statement so that we get a clearer understanding. I want you to think about this. How many of you have ever, I don't know, watched a movie or a television show, or you've been on a sports team or, or some maybe corporate team or something, or maybe you've even said this, that after the scene in the movie or the TV show or the meeting or whatever, of a very, very motivational speech, and the guy speaking, kind of like me, uh, anyway, the guy is just riled, getting everybody riled up in the room, and the room is electric. They are so fired up, and the person ends the speech with, who's with me? Yes? Who's with me in that context has nothing to do with the guy or the gal or the whoever saying, who's sitting next to me? Who is in close proximity to me? has nothing to do with that. What it does have to do with is the speech maker is asking the question, who is aligning themselves with me? Who is in agreement with me? They got excited. I know you're excited. That's praise God. That's what, that kind of thing is what the word was with God means. Jesus, from the beginning. That's what it says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was motioning towards, in agreement with, about, pertaining to God. Jesus, from the beginning, was, has been, and always will be in agreement with God. He is about God. Jesus, not, not your imaginary make-believe friend, Jesus. This Jesus is about God. And everything He does and says in this context is directly about and pertaining to and motioning mankind toward God. Everything. There are no exceptions. Jesus didn't go to coffee to talk about the NFL. Everything He did. The Bible even tells us that if everything He did was documented, that the world couldn't hold the volume. That's what it says. It says it. Look it up yourself. You own a concordance? No? You got a smartphone? Find it. Because that's what it says. So we need to get our understanding underpinned, framed in with this notion 
that the word was with, about, pertaining to, motioning toward, agreeing with, aligning with God. Not that he was sitting next to him. Okay? That's our underpinning. That's our foundation today. Okay? Let's move forward. John chapter 1 goes on to, to say, In him, do I have, there we go. In him was life. And that life, that life, was the light of men. Do you notice how life transforms to light? Did you notice that? Life changes into light. In Him was life. Now I want you to remember something. And I'm going to go to my Bible here. I want you to remember something. That's verse 4. But remember what we've just come out of in verse 3. Listen to what verse 3 says. And Janetta, you don't have this, I'm sorry. Verse 3 says, Through Him. We're still talking about Him, the Word. Okay? And we're still talking about Him, the Word. That is all about God. Motioning toward God. Pertaining to God. Not next to God. Okay? Alright, through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So we need to remember that when we read verse 4, we have to put it in the context of verse 3. That in Him, He made everything. And everything that was made, He made it. And if it wasn't made, He didn't make it. And I want you to remember what that just said. Why, why does it say the Word made everything? Why is that a point of interest that the Word made everything? After all, Genesis 1 and 1 says what? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Yes? In the beginning, God. It doesn't say the Word. It says God. And I've said this a hundred times in this church. Those of you who are either visitors or who are new here who don't know me yet, and I don't know you, I look forward to meeting you, um, ha haven't heard me say this yet. But it's very important when we read the, 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 uh, the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, we understand that the word God there is a Hebrew word that is the word Elohim. Elohim is an ancient Hebrew way of expressing God. And that word, Elohim, is a plural. It's plural. As a matter of fact, this is where some people have trouble with Trinitarians, which incidentally... I am. I believe in the Trinity of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some people think we serve multiple gods because Elohim is the word gods. But it's the one way that man at that point in history could describe the Trinity. Elohim. So why is it that John... One and three 
says the word made everything when he when the hebrew in genesis 1 1 says that god did well that's the mystery of the trinity isn't it right i mean look there have been so many illustrations in an attempt to try to explain the trinity we could spend the rest of the day half of you drooling on going to sleep while the other half just get up and go to a restaurant There's so many of them, and they really don't do a great job, but we have to fall back and say, here's the deal. Some of this God stuff He tells us about, but it's beyond our wiring to grasp. If you can explain God, you're not serving the same God I am. You just aren't. After all, Let's think about this for just a moment before I move forward. There's God. In the character Melchizedek, he's never had a beginning. He will never have an ending. He has no parentage. He has no ancestry. He never started. He's always been. Always. In a matter of fact, Job tells us that he was around for so long, for so long, that before he spoke creation into existence, do you know what the Bible tells us about God? He is by himself, seated. In darkness, where there is nothing else. There's no stars. There's no planets. You know that without form and void earth that we read about in Genesis 1? It's not there yet. There are no angels. There are no cherubim and seraphim. I can just see him sitting around. And because this goes beyond my capacity to understand, I can just see him sitting there going, boy, that'd be cool to make that. And there's nothing made yet. And when he decides, I think today, I'm going to do what I want to do today with respect to this thing I've been thinking about. Because this is going to get really fun. Light. Boom! And suddenly it's no longer dark. Because he said so. Spectacular. In its power. Spectacular. In his his ownership of of all that is. That's just part of the mystery. How many of you can literally go back in time on your calendar and go, oh, that's when God created. Oh, that's when God started. Oh, that's when... Not only is this not wired for that, neither are you or I. It's that far. It's that far. Why does it say that the Word 
made everything. Because He is responsible. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you. He is responsible. The Word from our text. He is responsible for motioning toward God in everything He's done. You hear me? How do we know this? That creation and Him creating had anything to do with Him motioning toward God. Jay, bring up Romans 1. Watch this. Beginning in verse 18. This is the NIV. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So God is punishing them because based on their wickedness, they're suppressing the truth of God. Okay? 19. Since what made... Now this is where it gets really important. And verse 20 is where we push this over the top. Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, the ones who through their wickedness are suppressing the truth of God, listen to it. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. God handed to the wicked everything they need to know about Himself on a silver platter, and yet, because they preferred wickedness and sin, they suppress what God handed to them on this platter. And so, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Verse 20, this is how we know that the Word who's motioning toward God had something to do or why it's important that He created. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... Then we describes the invisible qualities. His eternal power and His divine nature. Those two invisible things which we cannot perceive. His eternal power and divine nature have been... What? Clearly seen. But let's read that again. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, the stuff that we can't see, have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made. We understand God's eternal power and His divine nature clearly. We get it. It's clear as the nose on my face. And I don't know if you've noticed, I've got a pretty plain nose. Has been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So in other words, and that men are without excuse. So in other words, that the Word, the Word who motions toward God, when John 1 and 3 says He created it all, in the creation, He established the ability to see what cannot be seen while motioning to God in it. We get it? We understanding? Okay. So now, that's why, that's why this verse is important. Then we jump down to 4, which we were just at. 
In Him was life. Yeah, there was life. He just created everything. And the life was the light of mankind. I find it interesting that David, long before John ever penned this letter, this gospel, David wrote, Your word is a lamp for my feet, and it's a light for my path. You see, David, David, he, he, he made some real issue problems, right? He had some issues. He had some problems. He did some things uh, that all of us can probably relate to in one shape or form. But he always went back to God. He always went back to God because the Word who is life translates His light into light so that we know how we're to go. You see, without, without light, we're in the dark, right? How many of you see in the dark well? No cats in the room. Well, guess what? I don't either. And I don't mind walking around in the dark, but I'm not afraid of the dark, but you can't make a lot of headway in the dark. And his life, is the light of men. The ability, the God in the beginning, who was with God, always motioning toward, is our life. Now, let's move forward. If you put that idea of direction instead of location, which we've been, this is our, our foundation here, into this verse, and then you think about what John, the first verse, or the first chapter in the 14th verse says, we can get ourselves a much broader and a much fuller understanding of what God's intent is for people, not just the church. You're the church because you've already been motioned toward God by the Word, and you went that way. But Jesus' last will and testament says, Therefore, because all power is mine, go into all the world. So, we're already, listen to me, occupying eternity in the present. Because we have been redeemed by the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're still here because we have the wrong kind of body to live there. That'll change. Okay? That will change. But, He wants us, now that we're already occupying eternity with Him, He wants us to continue forward. If you put the, that is God's intent. That is His purpose. John says in the 14th verse of chapter 1, the Word became flesh. Well, we're rapidly approaching that time of year where we will celebrate 
the Word becoming flesh. Made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. How many of you have seen His glory? How many of you have seen His glory? Well, if you don't know whether or not you have seen His glory, let's put this to bed. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Bottom line, the statement, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth isn't some mysterious issue. It's not some veiled comment in the Bible that you have to dig deep for and figure out because it's just beyond our understanding. That is not the case. There's nothing hidden here whatsoever. That statement in that verse, the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, that statement is saying that what is documented in this book The Word of God. That one who, the Bible we've already covered in 1 John uh, 1 and 4, who said, in Him was life. That one, that guy, is testimony to His glory. It is testimony. And that because we have that document, we have seen His glory. The problem is, with the church, is, is the church actually reading that document? Because if we're not engaged in the document, we don't see His glory. We don't see His truth. We don't experience the Word that was in the beginning that pertains to motions toward God. Because in our lives, how many of you have been Christians longer than five years? How many of you have been Christians longer than ten years? How many of you have been Christians longer than 15 years? How many of you have been Christians longer than that? Okay. How many of you are absolutely, spectacularly flawless? Okay. Do you realize that every last one of us still need Him to point us to the Father? He still needs us to motion us to the Father. And when we're, when we're going about ministering the Word of God in our schools, in our, uh, our homes, in our places of work, and so on, we're being Jesus. <coughs> I hope. And if we're being Jesus, guess what you're doing? motioning toward the One who can save the lost around you. Oh, and incidentally, I don't know that you know this, but that's not an optional job position. (laughs) We have seen His glory. The Greek word here for glory in this verse is described, <laughs> I love how, how when you look up words in the Hebrew and Greek, there's, there's descriptors and stuff contained within the definitions. And this word, glory, means, or is described as very apparent. 
Do you know what glory here means in the Greek? Man, this is big. This is huge. This is deep. It means glory. It doesn't get any deeper than that. It means glory. We've seen His glory, and it is so painfully obvious that it is Him who He said He is, the Son of God, the Word of God, who motions toward the Father. It is so apparent, it is so obvious that a blind man could see it. It is so obvious that a deaf man could hear it. And it is so obvious that a dead man would rise for it. And oh, guess what? They all did. Yeah, they did. According to the Greek here, word, the word word is the word logos. And what that word is, and of course we're talking about Jesus when we're talking about the word. That word in the Greek means the divine expression on the topic. It's in other words, if God chimed in on your conversation about something and He gave His opinion, it would be the divine expression on the subject. What subject, when it comes to mankind, are we talking about? We're talking about love through redemption, through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the point of this. The redeeming of man back to himself. That's the whole point, right? Don't get me wrong. There are a myriad of other subjects to be discussed in the canon of Scripture. But the entire point of Emmanuel, God with us, the Word made flesh, dwelling among us, is the redemption of lost man. What is the divine expression on that topic? Jesus. The, the word in your Bible, word referring to Jesus, is the word logos. The divine expression regarding God's love for all of mankind. His divine expression, His input, His, his opinion is Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to talk about it. God doesn't want to talk about redemption. God doesn't want to talk about salvation. When God talks, God acts. And when God acts, He embodies. And His expression for His love for us to get us back to Him for all of eternity is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was then and is now the message that motions toward God for God to save. Not what Jesus said. That's not it. He said because He made us with ears. He did because He made us with eyes. But if God is going to lay His opinion on the table, that opinion 
is Jesus Christ. Because that opinion is forever and always motioning to God. If you're lost and you don't know what you're doing, if you're hurt, if you're damaged goods, if you're Nehemiah's burnt, scorched stones, look at me. Jesus is going. That's what He's doing. And He knows Him because He was with Him in the beginning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, the Word. He's forever and always motioning. Jesus was and is the message of God. I've used this verse a thousand times. So have you. Where John writes in the third chapter of his gospel, he says, for God so loved the world. You know, that, that verse, that verse, I'll let you go here shortly. No promises. Those of you who are visitors, those of you who are new members who don't know me yet, don't ever take me at my word when I say I'm about to close. See? You will be sorely disappointed. We read John 3.16 and we read it like we had to recite it before a group of people were kind of like this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. (laughs) And, you know, that's what we do. That's what we do. Look at me. That is not what that means. I want you to imagine feeling God's feelings. For God so passionately, so feverishly, so endlessly, so exuberantly, so overwhelmingly loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that doesn't matter who. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you smell like. I don't care what your life is lived like. It doesn't matter. Whosoever will is the clause that wins mankind if the church will just understand it. The whosoever will clause breaks down all barriers and anything that doesn't align up with our particular point of reference. He loved the world so much that, oh my word, the unimaginable God of eternity past, the Alpha and the Omega to eternity future, with power to speak things in and out of existence. And you and I, we treat, we treat Him as something we have to schedule. And here's the thing. When you try to imagine God, and we can't, 
Then we turn the table and we try to imagine ourselves. That's easy. We're three-dimensional, technicolor dirt that he breathed on. You can go outside right now and find a piece of unasphalted or unconcreted um, area, and you're looking at your relatives. And then you try to imagine what it must have been like for him one day. And here we go. We're going back to the throne, okay? I know I'm long today. I know. He's like, well, that was fun. Got animals and plants, and stuff up in the sky shining down. Now my last thing, and I can see him. Pulls up those robes, and he gets right down in it, and he starts working the earth. The word, the earth, incidentally, that he made, and he starts from the inside out. He starts making everything, every last thing, every last nuance. And in his mind, cells and things like that are not too small because, remember, uh, he sees everything. Right? So he's down there in the dirt and he rolls up those sleeves and angels are doing this. This is action. I can just see angels going, Dude, what is he doing? Robe dirty, man. Just leaning on their spears, watching him, and he, he wraps he wraps everything with muscle and puts skin on top of it and he goes, That ain't bad. And the angels are like, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> I can just see this. I can see him in this fashion. And he's, he's, and I love what verse 17 says. Because of God's love is so overwhelming, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through the One that motions toward Him. These two verses tell us what God's love is and what God's love isn't. God's love, it is love. This is what God's love is. It is love and it isn't condemnation. That's what God's motivation is. That's what God is all about. By introducing, and I'm going to try to get closed. By introducing Jesus into the theater of mankind, God was saying, listen to me now. I want to see if you relate to this. God was saying... I know you're lost. I know you're lost and I know that you're afraid. I know that you're far away from me and that although you may not understand any of this at this point in time, I do and I am near you. I have sent life and I have sent light in the form of my Son to you so that you can come near to me. He is my Word and He is me. Can anybody relate to that at one point in time in your life? If you want to know, and I am closing, if you want to know 
how you should walk this life. Look at Jesus. Not because you're going to walk life like him. That has nothing to do with this. It has to do with the fact that, remember, his glory is documented. We can hear what he says, watch what he does, see his actions, and we will understand. Because this is not just some textbook. This is a living organism. And it will tell you. If you want to know how you should walk this life, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God's will for your life, if you want to know what God's will for your living is, look at Jesus. Look at me. Don't get creative, brothers and sisters. Don't get creative. Don't compromise his word. Because in compromising his word, you compromise him in your life. And you will be a Romans 1 and 18 individual who through your wickedness, you're suppressing the truth of Jesus Christ. Remember earlier I said that you're as dangerous as, you, as anything that walked the face of the earth if you walk around with the moniker of Christian but not acting like Christ? You remember that? That's a fact. Don't compromise his word. Don't think that there are loopholes in God's word. There are none. But that's for us. There's a reason for that. That's not for condemnation's sake. That's because he knows what will get us out of here and to him. Yes? My last word. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why we have what is known as a closed canon? This is what's called the canon of Scripture. And it's, it's closed. And I don't mean it's not open. I mean it's closed. There is no new Scripture being written. Yes? It's closed. Do you know why? It wasn't some council that decided. It wasn't because a group of men got together and decided, well, this is what's inspired and this isn't. Despite what the Catholic Church says. It's not that at all. It's because when God puts His divine opinion on a thing it is closed. And Jesus Christ is the last word on God's word. Stand with me. It is my sincerest prayer that I didn't hold you too long. Jesus is and always will be the one motioning toward God for the purpose of saving the lost, saving mankind. Now, before I left on sabbatical, I would always give an altar call for, for people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And at that time, 99% of the time, I could say, I know everybody in this room, but at the time we were putting these messages on the internet and I would extend an invitation for those who might be on the internet watching the messages who might be lost but today I can't say that anymore I don't know everybody in this room and it kind of excites me 
The reality is I don't know because I don't know you because you're a visitor or if I don't know you because you have been attending here since my sabbatical started. But now that it's over, if you're attending here, I will look forward to getting to meet you. But I'm going to give an altar call because I don't know who you are. If you don't know Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. The one that you've bowed your knee and your heart to for the forgiveness of sin through the washing of your heart and your sin with His blood. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then you need to come to know Jesus Christ today. Because Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in this Bible, the third chapter and the 20th verse, he says, I stand at the door and I knock waiting for you to open this door. And he said, and if you open it, and I think it's so funny, there is no qualifiers in this statement that Jesus makes. He says, if you'll open unto me, I will come into you. And you and I, the old word is sup, means you're going to dine with the king. He never said, unless you're the wrong socioeconomic status. He didn't say anything. I need help from pastors and elders right here. I, he never said that if you're a drunkard, I, well, that, that's the thing I won't come in for. Or if you're a drug addict, or if you're a hooker, or any of the other litany of things that human beings can get themselves into. He never said that. He said, I am standing at your heart's door, and I'm knocking, waiting for you to open that door so that I can come in, and you and I, we're going to sit down to bread to him because he is the bread of life and we'll sup together we'll eat together we'll dine together it's going to be like family and best friends it's going to be awesome if you don't know Jesus Christ I'm inviting you now we already have one but I'm inviting you now to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ is there anyone here who needs to know Jesus and you don't right now anybody Anybody?